Kia ora welcome back to Two Tipsy Plants podcast where we talk plants and drink booze. My name is Sasha. And my name is Sasha. And um, in today's episode, we are finally talking about orchids. <laughs> and we are finally tipsy again. Well, yeah, all cards on the table. We are recording the second episode tonight. Just because we found that sometimes it actually works better with editing and stuff to record two episodes at once. But it doesn't work that great with the wine sometimes. <laughs> yeah, so ex- essentially what you are going to encounter right now is us past a bottle of wine. We are finally talking, sorry, we are having cheese as well, just to kind of soften the effects of the first um, recording. Bottle. <laughs> yeah, so we are finally talking about orchids, because I think for a couple of episodes we were like, hmm, we need to make an episode that is just on orchids. Just because there are 28,000, more than 28,000 species of orchids. Species, and there's not even crosses. Yeah, it's present. Obviously, we're not covering all of them. (laughs) (laughs) Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we will talk about some tips for actually owning orchids and taking care of them. We will cover some history. We will talk about orchids with really weird names and um, also orchids that deceive. Yeah. And yeah, just probably some personal experiences on owning orchids. But obviously, before we start... We need to get refueled. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha, what is the wine that we're having? The second wine that we're having. Oh my gosh, what what is the second wine? Um, Kings and Assholes. I'm sorry, not Kings and Assholes. Aces and Arrows. Pinot Noir. I have found this bottle of wine because of Jamie. Mm -hmm. Because he's like, ooh, this wine looks like a fun concept. It does look, um, the, the, the label looks really cool. The label looks very cool. It looks like... Playing well, cards? Playing cards, yeah. yeah. But the concept of this wine is every year uh, the vineyards produce a small batch of wine and they release it under aces and arrows. Okay. And, uh, like so is it like clear skin, but... But, but upscale. Okay. <laughs> yeah. This one is by... So it's a gamble. It's a... Aces and... Aces and... No, I'm just, I'm just saying, like, it's because it's playing cards, you know, it's Minus. a gamble. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I see what you did there. So, yeah, this one is Aces and Arrows by Greg Spinanois. So, Greg has had experience in Napa Valley, mm-hmm. US. He had experience in uh, Hawks Bay. And he had experience in Marlborough. This wine is from 2021 vintage of Central Otago. Oh, Pinot Noir from Central Otago is it's always, always good. nice. Mm-hmm. And this one is a bit more fun. Pinot Noir is always fun. This one is Wild Ferment Pinot Noir. It's wi- Wild Ferment. Ooh. Yeah, I don't think we had much of Wild Ferment on our podcast yet. I'm not a big fan of Wild Ferment, but the Wild Ferment that I've tried before was always white. Wild Ferment works better in reds, so I'm on my opinion. Try, I'm curious to try the red one. So yeah, wild yeast fermentation, also known as a spontaneous fermentation or indigenous fermentation, refers to a process of allowing naturally occurring yeast strains to present itself in a wine and to... Infect the wine. (laughs) Infect the wine and influence the wine. That usually ends up in very interesting outcomes. Um, I guess it is a bit of a gamble. It is a gamble, to be Mm. honest, because it results in a nice and complex wine. Mm. And that re- that actually shows that terroir is the environment that the wine came from, like soil and climate. Conditions and environment, call yes. it that way. Mm-hmm. But also it influences the consistency of the wine. Not like how, consist- how consistent, how consistently the batch is? good. Yeah, how consistently good or bad is the batch. Yeah. So yeah, this why that is why it is a gamble. Fair enough. Let's try this one. Ooh, it looks a bit cloudy. A little bit. Well, well ferment you would expect. Hey, it's it still smells like Pinot Noir, but it doesn't smell like your typical Pinot Noir. Nope. Do you know what I mean? Like it smells... Like a vanilla candle? No. <laughs> we actually, um, like in our previous episode, we had a vanilla candle running and we didn't realize how intoxicating it was actually getting in this room. When we walked out for like a bit of a break and walked back in and we were like, open the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, honestly, it smells like a mix of uh, 
was brought with wine to me. <laughs> it does. Yeah. <laughs> well, kvass is essentially a yeast. It's a ferment- fermented bread. Yeah, fermented bread drink. Yeah. Uh, don't ask. <laughs> so yeah, it's quite bready. So I actually have no idea if it has been um, done in carbonic maceration style. It's quite spritzy as well. Spritzy means like uh, bu- like it has bubbles in it, like it's carbonated. Only a tiny bit. Yeah. To be honest, I am impressed. Especially after smoked cheese, like the flavor that you get Too in punchy. your mouth. I feel like it just, it's very berry-like. It's very, it's really nice. I actually like it because I don't like white wild ferments. It's just not my thing. Because I feel like the f- there's no flavor. It's just literally just the f- ferment sort of taste that you feel. But with this one, you can actually. I, th- I see what you're referring to is a bit too much yeast in there. The- in the white ones? Yeah. Yes. But this is this is actually really nice. Like, I actually really like it. Like Now that you have said that it tastes like kvass, I, all I taste is kvass. Well, no, I still taste like berries and stuff. It's quite. But yeah, it also tastes like fermented ras- uh, fermented strawberries. Yes, yes, definitely. Um, and it also is a bit burning on your throat. Can you feel it? Like, can you feel the warmth? Yeah. It's not your typical wine more warmth. It's more like a harder like liquor. Harapito. Yeah, yeah, like like very peppery. It's it's actually really nice. Like I'm impressed. I'm yeah. impressed because it's a wild, uh, wild ferment. This one is also has a bit of a cheesy notes, I would say. Mm. <laughs> or, Besi- is it besides besides it, or is it the cheese? We will never know. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Sasha, how about you start? So Sasha is quite an enthusiast on um, house orchids, called that way, the ones that you can actually own as a house plant. Because I remember you had... I wouldn't call it a phase. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking you are still interested in house plants. Well, let, let's be honest. Uh, the house plant collection people enthusiasts uh, go through phases, and I sent it to you yesterday. Yeah. Like the first phase, I don't care what I buy. I buy everything. Uh, actually, no. The first phase, I just need something in my house to bring a pop of color. I buy like one to five plants for that. And oh, then you never you... buy just one to five plants. Uh-huh. And then <laughs> then it slowly goes into a second phase which is like i need to buy all of them i'm gonna catch them all mm-hmm. but this time it's not pokemon it's all the house plants both of us went through that phase yes mm-hmm. and then after that you slowly start to realize that you have no more um, space in your house and you need to do some selective giving away and then also limit yourself to what you buy <laughs> Well, maybe, but what I did was, oh, I ran out of horizontal space, so I went <laughs> vertical I need to space. hang stuff. I need to hang stuff. Or After... put it on poles to climb up. Yeah. <laughs> After that, the other stage would be rare plants, but you still have no organization to it. You still don't know what you want. You just buy all the rare plants, and that's expensive phase. Mm. Like the other phases were not expensive. <laughs> and after that, you start finally branching into the plants that you like like yes. re- regular varieties would be monsteras philodendrons hoyas and orchids or calatheas for me or like calatheas. i really like calatheas because just because they are doing just fine in plants, my house yeah yeah but the thing is that out of all the varieties that i have mentioned i think calatheas and orchids are will be the most finicky ones mm. okay so um tell us a bit more about orchids maybe the history of it because mm. i know you've done a bit of research on it mm. yeah so orchids have been in our life since the ancient times and the orchids have been documented as far back as 551 bc mm-hmm. before christ that's a long time ago mm. and essentially Gre- seven at least seven thousand years ago mm-hmm. and the greek philosopher theophrastus in 371 bc also mentioned that in his writings. Mm. However, these references were often vague and did not prove the detailed information to identify what kind of plant, like what kind of orchid it was. So that is unfortunate. It would be nice to know what kind of orchid that was. I wonder if back in the day they had 28,000 <laughs> species though. Probably more to be honest, considering that right now... That it was uh, warmer as well and more preferable conditions for orchids too. 
well that but also i'm just more thinking about the poaching that is happening at the moment we mm. have lost a lot of species of orchid in the past three years mm. because when covid happened people went crazy and they wanted new stuff and orchids and philodendrons and anthuriums got a very significant hit by people who have been poaching plants like from, from, from natural environments, from natural environments mm. yes um 15th and 19th century uh, was one of the booms in the discovery of the houseplants, for example. Mm -hmm. And people went into the... Because uh, it was such a rarity. It was a rarity, but also that's when people started to appreciate it and the glass houses have developed. Yes, yes, there yeah. was that glass house effect, not, not the one that we're having currently in terms of the greenhouse effect, but like the glass house effect especially colonizing countries where they started exploring other countries and they saw all these beautiful plants that they couldn't have back mm -hmm. at home. So they invented the glass house and it opened... Terrariums, vivariums, glass yeah. houses. And it opened up like massive opportunity to collect massive, the plants. Massive niche in a market that people wanted to have more mm. that we're experiencing again this time. Mm. Like the history just repeats itself over and over again. Yeah, yeah. always. 19th century. Orchid mania. Like, before that, it was not orchid mania. <laughs> in 19th century, um, we have seen the period of intense orchid collecting and cultivation known as orchid mania. Orchids became highly sought after, and they became a symbol of a status. So I guess, yeah, if you own a good collection of orchids, you were considered to be sort of of a higher class, is that what you're saying? I think it's more about how rare and inaccessible that is. It's still the case with other things to this day, which does my mind then but yeah one thing is when you collect things that are rare because you really enjoy them and, and the, the other, other thing one is, is just, just for the status rare. well just the status just so you are like you know i, yeah. I own this i don't know a Mon freaking Monst delorean from you know back to the future not because they, they probably haven't even seen back to the future but they own it because it's so rare just just as an example <laughs> you're right <laughs> i'm just trying to remember the name of the plant that literally was on my mind for the past three years <laughs> because it was rare plant that everybody used to talk about but it's such a piece of shit and it's all because of status uh monstera is it one of those white leaf ones no not even a white leafed one uh monstera one eternity later so yeah one of those status monsteras that used to be so inaccessible for a long time was Monstera oblique, mm. which essentially is Monstera with slightly elongated leaf. And if you know what Monstera adonsonii is, or monkey mask, that is what it is. But it's, so it's, a, it's like a small Monstera. Small Monstera, elongated leaf, bigger holes. Oblique? Yeah. Obliqua. Yeah, obliqua. And that was highly sought after plant. It is very collector's plant as well. It originated in Peru, and it have started to spread from the collectors. So everybody who has it essentially has it from one single collector. Ah, oh, I see. So it kind of has more holes than the plant calls mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, that's the good example of the status plant. Yeah. So I guess orchids were status plants as well. Yeah. Now it's monsteras. Um, Two hours later. In ancient Greece, the word orchis meant testicles and was used to... See, that's what confused me into thinking that orchids symbolize male genitals rather than <laughs> female genitals. If you are curious, we've actually covered this topic about orchids symbolizing genitals uh, in uh, our Mythology of Plants episode. I think, episode? I think, I think it, it's episode yeah, five. Yeah, I think it is episode five, yeah. Um, so, yeah men's testicles mm. that was used to describe the orchid's pear tubers. Uh, so I think maybe it was referring to dendrobiums. Like the tuberous... Tuberous um, orchids, yes. Mm -hmm. The bulbous. Um, oh, the bul bul the bulbous. Um, which were thought to resemble testicles. Led to believe that the consumption of those tubers would influence the gender of unborn child. <laughs> okay. So a couple of fun facts about the orchids. Vanilla orchids. Oh, I love vanilla. Yep. The vanilla flavor that we commonly associate with sweetness and desserts comes from the pod of the vanilla orchid, vanilla plantifolia, 
The pods are carefully processed to extract the aromatic compounds that create vanilla flavor. Mm. If you would like to know more about vanilla orchids, go to previous episode. Yeah, because we, kind of, <laughs> we kind of covered that in our... Plants, coincidentally. Yeah, plants on currencies episode. Yeah, but I think it was present on Madagascar. Madagascar. Yeah. Mm, orchids, flowers, and insects. Which Sasha will cover a lot. Oh, I will cover a lot of it, so don't even talk about it. <laughs> um, yeah. I What I found quite fascinating as well is all the orchids, just like human face, they exhibit extraordinary bilateral symmetry. Have you actually noticed it? Like, an orchid flower is always symmetrical. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, like, amazing, because, you know, you get flowers. You get yeah, a lot most of fl- flowers are circ- circular symmetry. Yeah, but they are not 100% symmetrical sometimes, you know what I mean? If you cut one flower in half, it doesn't mean that on one side it has 20 florets and on the other side it has 20 florets. Mm. So, would you like to slowly go into the pollination of orchids, maybe? Mm. Do you think we should cover the natural pollination and then I'll cover what yeah. I did in my life? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So, I'll start with the natural pollination. Mm. So, what we did with Sasha, Sasha kind of focused on the owning of orchids and sort of house growing the orchids yourself yeah, aspect be- of orchids because it just fits into my experience and i sort of focused more on the wild orchids and stuff so we will kind of be switching between those two aspects from time to time but i think it's going to make the episode even more interesting do you know that most orchids pollen it's not actually like powdery it is packed into pollinia a neat waxy parcel, no bigger than a sesame seed, um, which pretty much is like a tiny self-adhesive disc. Well, maybe my part will not be a separate part, but will be in addition to your part. Yeah, obviously, yeah. But it's just a fun fact, like most of the flowers, they have a uh, like a pollen, as in like a powdery pollen. Where It is the fun fact that I have experienced in my life mm. myself, because back in Russia, I own an orchid phalaenopsis the easiest orchid that you can own to is begin it the one with. that i have mm-hmm. yeah so if you go into your plant and see that protruding thing that is an like a knobby thing on the tip of it you will see if you own a white one you'll see two yellow dots that's the pollen sex that sasha is talking about it's and called pollinia pollinia mm-hmm. and if you reach past the knob and just scrape it scrape it towards yourself it will stick to your finger on the uh, uh, disc that is connected to two pollinias and mm. that's how the insects are getting that on their head and if you want to pollinate your orchids you get that I used my tweezers for that and place it a bit lower down the flower like on the other flower same flower Oh, I mean, if if the orchid is considered self-pollinating, then yes. Because mm. some of them are self-pollinating and some yeah. of them, obviously, they need cross-pollinator. Um, to sort of elaborate more on the pollinias and what Sasha has described, orchids are actually savage. Mm-hmm. So most of orchids, you know how, like, when bees travel from plant to plant, they collect um, the po- uh, nectar. nectar or... Pollen, pollen or like something they, they they get a reward most of orchids they deceive the insects that they will get a reward yeah but they like, don't like one of those orchids that looks like a female bumblebee there are a lot of orchids i will cover it um actually a bit later but most of orchids they deceive the insects into something else so that they can actually attract them but most of the orchids provide no reward so, for example, a Caribbean bucket orchid, Corianthus speciosa, and speciosa means showy, it traps bees in a smooth-sided pail filled with sticky fluid. Their only escape is through the narrow tube, mm-hmm. in which they are immobilized for about half an hour, just long enough for pollen sacs to be attached to them and the adhesive to dry. So pretty much the bee flies into it, slips, sort of slips off the little tube, call it that way, gets stuck in the air, 
all the little pollinia gets stuck onto the bee and the, 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 the sticky thing dries and only then the bee can fly out and actually pollinate the other orchid. But the bee receives absolutely nothing out of that experience. To me, it was like such a pretty flower, but there is nothing to it. <laughs> you mm -hmm. know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Eight uh, hours later. Uh, but I will start with orchids that deceive. Mm -hmm. So a lot of orchids. So what I found from my research is it's either the orchid looks like an, an insect and the insect, it's usually the male insect that either tries to mate with it. Yeah. Or if it thinks that it's a male insect, it actually tries to attack it. Actually, um, I actually have not seen that aspect before. I've only seen the aspect of a male trying to mate insect with a female. To mate with a female. No, there are some orchids that are actually male-looking insects, and the male insect tries to attack it, and obviously shakes the pollen that way. But there are also some orchids that look like they have an insect that another insect might want which I found really cool. So I'll just cover maybe three orchids because hmm. I have a lot of them, but I'll cover three orchids of three different sort of types that I've just described. So one of them would be the Mexican bee orchid, which is a Hagsatira rosiloi. rosloi. Is it the one that looks like a fat bumblebee with a blue color? Uh, no, it actually does not look very much like a bee, mm. but I guess to a bee it might look like a bee. We will include all of those orchids in um, some of our reels. We'll probably have to split it into a couple of reels, actually, this time around. <laughs> the flower is about 3.5 centimeters in diameter, Yep. and it is native to southern Mexico and Guatemala, so hence the Mexican bee orchid. The flower of the Mexican bee orchid is sort of green with uh, forward spreading sepals and smaller forward pointy petals and it resembles apparently it resembles a bee so a male bee mistaken mistakes it for a female and attempts to mate with it wow, wow. what i also found is a lot of orchids are actually not studied in terms of the pollination and the way they are pollinated just because some of the orchids are very short-lived i guess maybe it takes a lot of effort to actually study the pollination well, some of them are quite hard, not easy to grow in the lab or in the greenhouse. You need to take it out of the environment mm. to the place that is more easily accessible mm. to the researcher. If you didn't get seeds, you're pretty much fucked and you need to go back into the environment. Another orchid that is, it looks like an insect, but it's not pollinated by, by those particular insects, is a bug orchid. Crossoglossa tipuloides. I'll show you a picture. What bug do you think it looks like? Sting bug? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is a green orchid that kind of looks like a sting bug. The flower size about, is about one centimeter, so it's a tiny little flower. And although they look like sting bugs, they are more likely to be pollinated by some form of fly or gnat. But again, however, no formal studies have been made so far, conducted so far for those orchids. What I also found, the orchids that are small and green flowered are usually pollinated by night insects. Well, yeah, I assume that there of, is no point of having a color if you're in the night. And it kind of applies to all the flowers and not just orchids, that like the flowers that are sort of not as showy, they're usually pollinated by night insects. But then you would have to develop another strategy, like either a temperature like uh, Amorphalus does, Amorphophallus, or... To kind of raise the temperature for them to, like... Yes, to actually see it or yeah. feel it. Yeah, it doesn't really say about this particular um, orchid what it does. Um, the other cool orchid from the same category is the Menagerie orchid. Menagerie? No? Menagerie. Menagerie, yes. Uh, Zootrophion... Hypodiscus. It actually does not look like your typical orchid. <laughs> it kind of looks like a like a snail with holes. I don't know. Well, it kind of looks like sort of a, a seed that has an opening in it. You know what I mean? Like it's so. It's like an open flower. The reason I chose that this flower to talk about is um, so the name of the peculiar genus is Greek for a menagerie and refers to a similarity of the flower to the head of exotic animal. 
I don't know what exotic animal that freaking flower looks like. <laughs> but the blooms of that orchid, they have fused sepals that form a ridged chamber. That's probably a better explanation of what we were trying to describe the orchid to be. With an opening on each side <clears throat> and hairs that and tissue extensions along the veins. So those species, um, they are actually pollinated by fungus gnats. Gnats. Uh, that normally lay their eggs on mushrooms, hmm. which means that the orchid is uh, trying to simulate a mushroom. Yes, and it probably smells like fungus as well. Do you know what menagerie means? Uh, a menagerie is a collection of captive animals, frequently exotic, kept for display. Oh, well, there you go. So that's probably why. But like, I don't see that orchid to look like any of the animals, to be honest. Like, it doesn't look like a head of any animal. Yeah. Um, and the last one that I'll cover from this episode would be a um, orchid that has actually been spotted in New Zealand as well, which is my favorite from this category. I'll show you what it looks like at first, and you tell me what insect it looks like. Kind of wasp? Not quite. It looks like a lot of ants. Uh, yeah, it does look anty. Yeah. But wasps are a part of the pollination of this orchid. So the orchid that I'm talking about is an ant orchid, Chiloglotis formicifera. The size of the flower is about 1.5 centimeters, and it is native to eastern Australia, but it has been spotted in North Island of New Zealand as well. What the orchid does, it looks like it has ants on it. We will upload the pictures as well, but it's pretty much like a green small orchid, and it has like black... Well, yeah, now that you have Shiny mentioned, spots. it does look like a cluster of ants. Yeah, it does look like a cluster of ants. It it actually attracts a type of wasp that obviously hunts ants. And the wasp sort of flies onto an orchid and it tries to grab the ant and fly away with it. And obviously it can't do that. So it gets pulled back and gets... Sprayed in the face with the pollen. Yeah, it, it, it kind of becomes glued. The head of the wasp becomes glued with the pollinia. And frustrated, the male flies off only to pollinate another orchid flower during another visit and struggle. <laughs> <laughs> yep. That's why I'm saying that orchids are fucking savage. Orchids are assholes. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. There is a single historical record from Kaitaia in New Zealand that this orchid was spotted. It does not necessarily mean that this orchid is actually native to New Zealand because there was only a single... setting. Yeah, pretty much. But I found it really cool. Yeah, orchids, they evolved to mimic a lot of insects to actually attract them visually. But most of the orchids, they don't give them the reward, which is the nectar. I do know that you have one of the favorite orchids of mine that on your list, which is a vampire orchid. Yeah, I'll actually talk about it. Uh, in the next episode? <laughs> no, in my strange named orchids. All right, let's do that. Do you want to talk about sort of house orchids? and? Uh... Um, yes, let's dive into the life of the house orchids. The first orchid that I have started with is Phalaenopsis. And to be honest, I'm glad that I did that because it is the easiest. You pretty much just water it from time to time. You, like, uh, Can I just say that a lot of people don't know how to water their orchids? A lot of people think that once orchids stopped flowering, you, you need to throw it away because it will not reflower. That's my fourth year my um, orchid is flowering, so that's not true. Yes. Mm -hmm. But um, I know that a lot of people, like even when I worked at my previous place and did a lot of garden consultations, people asked me tips on houseplants. And one of the biggest uh, problem that they had is their orchids were not doing oh, yeah. well. Simply because they would have the orchid in a cover pot and they would just water the cover pot. And I'm like, no, 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 no. A, there is a reason why orchids are placed in transparent pots. They prefer to be in transparent pots. Well, think about it. It's an epiphyte. Yeah. Epiphyte so means it is living on plants. Roots should be constantly exposed to the air and to air circulation. Yes. And if you have it in a cover pot, it's going to be constrained. It will not see any sunlight and air circulation will be shit. Mm. Uh, to be fair, my orchid is in, like, it's not in a transparent pot, but it actually has a lot of space in that pot. But also you need to take your orchid out, put it like under your tap running water and actually let it drain completely before putting it back. Like the orchid should never be in standing water because this is what kills the orchid the most. 
Mm. And people don't realize it, unfortunately. Yes. That's what I usually call orchids from any of the box stores. A doom orchid, essentially. <laughs> Just because all of an them are... An orchid to be doomed. <laughs> an orchid to be doomed. <laughs> it's like a cheap well, present that people gift to other people as well. But that's why probably people think that if you have that orchid that's been gifted to you, it's a one-time thing. It will not reflower to you. Which is really sad, because if you think about it... And it's all a $40 the... plant as well. Yeah, but also, like, all the pollination process that we've just talked about, it actually takes effort to pollinate an orchid and reproduce it. So people who think that it only flowers one and you can toss it away. Um, sorry to break your world, but no, they do reflower. Um, if you take a proper and easy care of it. Still punchy. Well. Circling back on your comment just now that it takes an effort to grow from seed for orchid, do you happen to know how many seeds does one orchid produce? I don't know, hundred. Uh, the low end is sixty to hundred. Yeah, the but high it doesn't end, mean that all of them will germinate, though. Not all of them. Yeah. Unfortunately, for orchids, um, they don't have the let's call it food sack. Yeah. yeah. They it's just a seed that will germinate in favorable con- yeah, favorable condition. Gymnosperm. Like let's say an avocado seed has a packed nutrients in its seed yeah. to actually feed the seedling for like an X amount of time before yeah. like the seedling can actually get its nutrients from soil. Yeah. So, yeah. For example, Dictylorhiza maculata has 6,200 seeds in the capsule, whereas Symbium is 1,500,000 seeds in a capsule. And how many of those would germinate though? I'd say like 30% at least. Yeah. Which is, which is a lot. And to be honest, most of the orchids are grown on a commercial scale. They are grown in laboratories and people will just shove a stick into the opened pod and then put it into the glass jar Mm. with agar-agar, which is like nutritious substance where it can grow and you'll get 100 to 200 plants per bottle. Some people actually can buy those bottles as well, but there's going to be risk of your own if you want to take the plants out of the bottles and try to adapt them to the uh, environment outside of the bottles. Mm. But also, you can propagate them several ways. Main three ways are seeds, mm-hmm. such as disgusted. Uh, another one is separation, like division, which you have a big plant and you divide it. So pretty much like what you do with Calatheus yeah. and Peace Lily. Yeah, but also it depends on the variety of orchid that you have. Like, mm. it doesn't really work as well with Phalaenopsis because it's usually one main plant. Mm. Uh, but it will work well with Dendrobiums, Catelias, and essentially all the other ones that have bulbs because that means that they're going to have multiple plants. Mm. Then the other one, which is not controversial one, but quite challenging one, is growing them or propagating them from the flower stem. Can you do that? If When I used to work in a garden center, there were several times customers came back to me with Phalaenopsis orchid and they had a baby orchid growing on a flower stem. Oh, that's so cool. It, me- it needs to meet very specific conditions mm. to do that in-house. So I guess if you have that, you can pretty much, like, once it's mature enough, you can cut it off and sort of... Once it, it, once it has aerial roots, you can mm. cut it off and plant it. That's awesome. Another thing to consider that there are several types of orchids, uh, varieties of structures within orchids. So freaking many. Uh, but I guess that you kind of, you can divide them in, like, five categories, would you yeah. say that? Yeah. So the first category will be plants with fleshy leaves, no pseudobulbs. The pseudobulb is slightly rounded tear shape thick part of a plant. Yeah. So for the fleshy leaves and neosudabulbs, usually evergreen, mm-hmm. you do not need direct sunlight. You need plenty of shade, but still need a lot of light. Mm-hmm. It does not require usually a resting period as well. The good example of that will be Phalaenopsis. Which is pretty much the supermarket um, orchid yeah. that you can get. That's yep. a very easily accessible plant. Mm-hmm. You can easily grow them on a windowsill with a sheer curtain. And make sure that you don't leave roots in water so it doesn't rot. Yeah. I have mine hanging because we don't have ceilings. We have like cathedral ceiling, call it that way, with this exposed rafters. Max, my husband, helped me to install a couple of hooks into those rafters. And I have mine just hanging on one of those. About a meter away from the window, but it's sort of 
at the level where the top part of the window is. So it does receive sunlight, but it never receives direct sunlight. And it's yeah. doing really well there. It's actually flowering right now. Yeah. And it looks beautiful. Also, you need to remember about the substrate for your orchids. Never place them in a very dense soil substrates. You can actually buy like a proper orchid bark orchid mix. mix. It's usually like bark and sort of organic mixture, but it's usually quite bark. You still can probably plant it in a soil because when I started with the orchids, I did plant it in the soil. And honestly, it did great. It gave me babies, it gave me flowers, it gave me everything. <laughs> Give you babies, oh. Yeah. But also the thing is that your roots kept on rotting. Yeah. Well, yeah, because with soil, um, there is more contact with moisture. And mm -hmm. obviously because orchids are yeah. epiphytes, they don't really like that. So yeah, she was hippie, but she was on a verge of death all the time. Oh. <laughs> make sure that if you have soil in your substrate, just make it very airy. So introduce bark, introduce something that is going to make it a bit more airy. The second type of leaves... Yeah, yeah, keep talking, <laughs> keep talking. The second type of plant that we can discuss is orchids that have thin leaves, strongly developed pseudobulbs, and they are usually deciduous. At the end of the growing period, they would probably just shed a leaf. They prefer semi-shade, plenty of moisture during the growth period, but do withhold water entirely during the resting period. Which the is when they are um, dormant, yep. like when they don't have leaves on them. Yep. The good example of that is a catacetum scura, which I have not dealt with, it, for <laughs> fortunately, actually, <laughs> because... I don't do well with deciduous houseplants. They just don't survive. I just don't, yeah. It would be tricky to... I guess you never know how the plant knows if it's the season to lose the leaves, if it's an indoor plant. Yeah. I mean, tricky. I did use... I used to have Hippiastrum, which is a bulb, essentially, which mm. people grow here as an outdoor plant. And it was kind of easy to take care of it, but... And hyacinth as well. Mm. But you... Well, it's just... hyacinth is an outdoor plant. It's a bulb, pretty much, yeah. yeah. But also it means that it's much more maintenance. You mm. need to report it more often. Yeah. Case closed. Let's get drunk. Third variety will be the plants with leathery leaves, usually well-developed pseudobulbs. They are evergreen or deciduous. They require semi-shade, but more light for good pseudobulbs to develop. But they require plenty of moisture during the growing period and less of the moisture during the resting period. Catleas are a good example of that. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I have book in my head at the moment that I'm reading from. This book is dated 1987. I wish I had that book when I started my journey into the orchids because so many more of them would survive or be happy <laughs> by now. Um, the thing is that you don't have a lot of good information that is well structured these days. Well, the thing is, these days... Yeah, a bleak uh, orchids, just because it that not was as popular. Highly well, sought the after thing, plant. That's why I always recommend people buy plants from, like, a garden center rather than a box store, like a, you know, a department store, call it that way. Because in a garden... Like, let's say the garden center that we worked in, there are people... There are, there are ladies who still work there who, like, one of them actually collects orchids, and it's her hobby, so... Who are in their 50s, 60s. So, obviously, she would have so much experience and so much knowledge that she can share with you if you ask her where in a box store like a typical you know just a department store hardware store where they also sell plants now people who work there rarely know about plants so they'll sell you an orchid saying that oh yeah you just water it from time to time and shit like that but you actually need an expertise which is not a, which is not a bad advice to be honest from time to time yeah let it <laughs> that means that you will let it let the root rise yeah let the roots dry and maybe it will survive yeah but you know what i mean like it's it's always better to buy it from a garden center where experienced people work cuz they can give yeah. you a good advice the fourth type of the orchid that we can discuss is the orchid with leathery leaves no pseudobulb that will require plenty of light plenty of moisture that's during the growth period, but moderate amounts only during the resting period. That the consumption of those good example would influence the gen. My gosh, I have to kill so many Anceriums because, <laughs> because I tried to treat them as phalaenopsis. Mm. So the end result, the leaf on the top of the bulb falls off. Aww. Shame. Yeah, and roots rot. 
the fifth type is the terret and semi-terret leaves. No pseudobulbs. It requires strong light, plenty of moisture, that's during the growth period, and moderate amount of, of moisture during the resting period. Vandas are the great example of that. They are so beautiful. Vandas are, are the probably, most beautiful orchids I've seen. They are probably the most purple ones as well. Like they actually have that beautiful iridescent purple color. They are also the smelliest ones. Like in, like in, in a, a good, good way. way. Yeah. In a good way. Like the more aromatic. The most aromatic ones, yeah. yeah. So Catelias, Ancidiums and Vandas are usually the ones that are the most aromatic ones. I have yet to see, I am yet to see Phalaenopsis that is quite aromatic. The one that I have doesn't smell at all. I will segue into the orchids with strange names. Oh, well, if you must. Uh, <laughs> so, honestly, the list is, like, enormous, but I'll sort of, I'll elaborate on some of them, but I'll start with a couple of them that are, like, worth a note. There is a small tapeworm orchid. Kind of looks Ew. like a tapeworm. Um, Tineoph. Phylum, Fusillum. Um, there is a wax cone orchid, which actually looks really beautiful. Robicuetia serena. There is a yellow pine orchid that looks really beautiful as well. Gastrochillus japonicus. But I'll start talking a bit more in detail about some orchids. There is one that's called Unseen Orchid. Unseen. 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 Uh, Chamayanthus brachistachis. So the orchid, I'll show you a picture. It doesn't look anything special. Aww. It just looks like a tiny little eye. It, it no. looks like a smiling face, doesn't it? It, it, <laughs> it does look like a smiling face, but all I see is a little starfish. No, this is Patrick. Yeah, it kind of looks like a starfish, true. The flower is actually quite tiny. It's only like half a centimeter wide. And the native range includes Peninsula Thailand, Borneo, and Java. It is a miniature orchid with a small, drably colored flowers. And the common name suggests that the flower is actually often overlooked, um, even in full bloom. Did you say Chamorchis? Chamayanthus. No, I don't have that in my list of orchids for garden cultivation. Well, again, yeah, uh, my orchids are more sort of... The ones that grow in natural ranges. So the genus name comes from the Greek word chemai, prostrate, and enthos, flower, referring to the insignificant blooms of the species. The flower does not open widely and so appear to form a small tube. So it requires a relatively long-tongued insect as a pollinator. It doesn't say what particular insect, but I see why it's called unseen orchid because the, the flower is quite tiny and it's sort of small and green. Long-term insects usually are butterflies. Well, yeah, so it could be pollinated by a butterfly. But yeah, it makes me wonder, maybe it's a moth though, because moths are nocturnal. Mm. So you would think that because the flower is green and sort of not yeah. showy, you would think that it's a um, night pollinator. There is also a shy orchid, Aww. which is called Psylochellus modestus. And obviously modestus means modest. It is a modest flower, you know what I mean? Um, it's not too showy and it's quite It kind of looks elegant. like undeveloped for undeveloped bonza. Okay, a little clear. bit, yeah, because it does have that purple in it. And those freely, freely petals as well. Yeah, so the flower is about 1.3 centimeters in size and its native range is Brazil and Venezuela. So the pollen-collecting insects perform mainly self-pollination and promote a higher fruit set than those collecting nectar. I'm assuming that this particular um, orchid does not provide nectar, just like most of them. <laughs> oh, actually, no, hold on. No, this is actually the one that is not like most of them because it does provide nectar. Flowers offer nectar and pollen as reward and are pollinated by several species of small, solitary and social bees. Wow, this is one of the few orchids that are actually not like... Yeah, I give you if all. <laughs> Do you want me to continue with the list? Yeah. Ooh. Are you just going through your book and seeing if um, any yeah. of them can be a houseplant? There's one called... Well, that's based on 1987 uh, book. No, still. Well, there... 
Yeah. It's, it's just these days people have much more varieties of plants because we have better technology and better greenhouses. And But also we learn more about plants because we have the technology to actually study them. Yeah. A very good example of developed glass house is Bio Orb. Have you seen that before? No. It's, imagine yourself an aquarium that has a lid on top that has light in it humidifier in it ventilation in it and on the bottom of the globe aquarium you have the substrate with like that will drain so pretty much like a high-tech um greenhouse <laughs> high-tech greenhouse slash uh what is it ecosphere yeah the problem with that thing is actually usually the light is too intense so a lot of plants burn so i'll continue with my mm. um, list of plants with um, funny names uh the next one is called a dwarf nipple orchid Ooh, a little nipple which is a thalassus pygmaea and pygmaea means dwarf the flower size is tiny it's only 0.17 centimeters so like about two millimeters wide um and its native range is Tropical and subtropical Asia, from Himalayas to Taiwan and India to the Solomon Islands. Um, the genus name is Greek for with nipples. Uh, probably a reference to the shape of the leafless pseudobulb, as you've mentioned yeah. before, uh, reflected also in the common name. Pollination of the tiny flowers is highly speculative. So pretty much nobody knows who pollinates it. They do not, however, self-pollinate because production of seeds is not regular. Yeah, but it kind of looks like... I don't know where this nipple thing is coming, but... The next one that I have is called a rotten banana orchid. <laughs> yeah. Um, it looks like that. So it looks like a... I have... Sasha have said that to me yesterday, and I have told her that it looks like a human centipede, but instead of human centipede, you should imagine mouths of the baby birds damn you've got some imagination <laughs> so those uh, tiny little flowers that sasha just mentioned are 0 0.8 centimeters in size and their native the native range of this um orchid is from himalayas to southern china yanan province and indochina so the rotten banana orchid like the name has a meaning to it so most species of uh, actually sorry i haven't mentioned the botanical name which is bulbophyllum kirayanum so most that species, is actually probably in the book well it is a bulbulous um like if you look at the picture of the like the drawing it does have bulbs that looks it. like ancidium uh well uh, by by the structure of a bulb yeah but it is a bu bulbophyllum the pollinators are the fruit flies. And the fruit flies actually think that it is a like a rotten fruit because it smells like a rotten fruit. However, for the unfortunate fruit fly, there is nothing here to eat. So again, an typical. orchid. A typical orchid, yes. The orchid that deceives. <laughs> um, the next one with a funny name is a hairy toilet seat orchid which is called Stelis pilosa. And pilosa means with long, soft hairs. Does it flash clockwise or anti-clockwise? Which, <laughs> which hemisphere is it in? I honestly, I mean, it kind of looks like, it just looks like a ball, like a hairy ball. I don't think it looks like a toilet seat. It looks like a bloated Nepenthes. Bloated pitcher plant with a hairy rim. Yeah, kind of, maybe. And like a little tap on top of it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Maybe that's why it's called a toilet. Um, it's a orchid. bidet. The flower of a hairy toilet seat orchid has fused pale yellow to green sepals. Um, the laterals fused to form a shallowy sack-like pouch that is ripped and hairy inside. That does not like feeling. It does not sound appealing at all. Yeah, it doesn't say who it who it is pollinated by. But again, because the flower is not showy, I would assume. It like sort of attracts night pollinators or maybe like flies small flies just think of what can fit in it and usually judging by the shape of it i would say it's a beetle pollinating something like that uh, po 
possibly yeah, something that can go inside that little toilet bowl, call it that way. Yeah. Have a little bit of a splish splash. <laughs> um, the second last of the orchids on my list is a yellow mustache orchid. It's a tiny picture, but it's very self-explanatory. Scaphorcipalum <laughs> <laughs> grande. Grande obviously means Ariana Grande. Well, that's why I was like, I want it, I like it. Nah, 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 nah. Bloody song stuck in my what head. Is this, what does it mean again? Sorry. I, Grande, big and showy. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. the So, flowering can occur over several months to nearly a whole year of that um, orchid, which would be great. When flies visit the flower, scent areas... On the fused sepals, guide them into position to contact the pollen masses and stigma. So those little mustaches act as guides um, to the areas where the pollen is. So the genus genus name refers to the hollow fused lateral sepals from the Greek skaphos, meaning a vessel. Which um, it is, I think it is another sort of common name for the... um, genus of this um orchids like a vessel or shape sort of shape ship shaped flower um this structure has a long tail in many species of the genus and on this species it has a flattened perpendicular surface resembling a mustache with long tips which is a good description of this plant and i think we will finish up with the plant that kind of falls into both Houseplant and not houseplant um, category of this topic is the um, orchid that does not sound like an orchid, like an orchid at all. Like the scientific name of that orchid is Dracula. Dracula vampira. It does not sound like it's an orchid at all. Like Dracula vampira. I mean, like a, a, obviously a vampire, a Dracula vampire. One orchid flower. Ha ha. <laughs> like them it's called a vampire dragon it is actually a very beautiful orchid like it has it kind of looks like a trillium because it has like three it does three um sort of flower petals and then it has like a little sort of like a ding, ding, like i don't know how to call it like a you know the back side of a balloon yes <laughs> like when you tighten the balloon yeah, yeah that the, the 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 area where you blow the air in um, what I found really cool in this one is um, the plant size is about like, it's about 30 centimeters high to about five, five centimeters wide. Um, but the flower size is 18 centimeters. So it's a massive flower if you compare it to the size of the whole plant. Shower. Yeah, 18 centimeters. It's not a grower, it's that's a like, shower. That's like yay big. Yeah. It's a massive flower. Um, the, the vampire dragon has one of the most evocative names in the orchid family yeah no shit <laughs> conjuring Very dramatic yeah conjuring up vivid images from the horror movies so apparently the genus name is derived from um the latin for little dragon dracula um another source of the name is from vlad the third dracula which is the, the ruler third. Of... who are the first fucking draculas <laughs> don't know <laughs> who's the ruler of Wallachia, modern Romania, um, whose father was a member of the Order of the Dragon. So the species of Dracula all appear to be pollinated by fungus-eating nuts um, that are attracted to the lip, which has the shape of a mushroom, um, complete with gills and an appropriate order. So it is one of those orchids that is quite showy, but it actually smells like a freaking mushroom or fungus. Um, so it is pollinated by the fungus nuts, but yeah. So do people actually, can you grow it in the house? Like, is it a house plant? It's a terrarium plant. Okay. Let's call it that. It's not a house plant. I mean, it's so fascinating that you think of orchids and you only think of the, um, what are they called? The one that I have? Phalaenopsis. Yeah. Uh, you only think of those because they're sold in the shops and like you only see they them. They are the easily accessible ones. But also there are dendrobiums, which are easy to grow if you know how to, because they can withstand living outdoors. Hmm. Because I did leave mine on the when, um, on the balcony. 
No, not really. Like sometimes when you get when you are in a low state and you don't really feel like taking care of plants, you put them on the balcony and and you just see what happens. So dendrobiums and surprisingly enough, um, spider plants survive. They are well. They are doing well outdoors. Well, I'm not surprised that like spider plants do, but yeah, they're they're really hard to kill. What I wanted to say is the good beginner plants will be something that are. Stout, flowering, evergreen, require stable temperature. Like, not stable temperature, require room temperature. So, Phalaenopsis is your go-to. Don't try anything else unless you feel confident. For the more advanced people, a younger, um, not necessarily fully developed plants, will, which vary in light requirements, will do. I would still probably say Phalaenopsis. <laughs> and for the experts... Go crazy. Go try. If you have enough money, go try other other orchids. They for New Zealand market. They are all bloody expensive. But maybe do a bit of research on how to um take care of them. There are actually um a couple of books that I found. There is one called Understanding Orchids. I haven't read it myself, but the reviews are really great and it kind of explains different types of orchids and how to take care of them. So I would suggest definitely do a good research. I am personally a big fan of a good book. Because, I mean, Google is great and just internet resources are great, but you just won't find things that you find in books sometimes, especially the book that Sasha has, for example, which is like a 1960s Old materials used to rely on people's experiences, and that's priceless. I'll finish our discussion on orchids today with um, one of New Zealand native orchids, which unfortunately is very, very threatened. The orchid is called a banded helmet orchid. Um, the, the botanical name of it would be Coribus Kase. It is actually a tiny little cute orchid. Look at it. So it is a helmet orchid. So it kind of. You looks... know what it reminds me of? Plants versus zombies. Yeah, it kind of looks like it, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, it is a tiny little orchid, but unfortunately, it is actually very threatened. Because this particular orchid grows in wetlands and bogs. See how tiny it is? Just compare it to the hand. Oh gosh, it is less than... Kind of looks like, maybe about like a fingernail size. Like a pinky nail. Yeah. Well, that's that's a very young specimen. There are efforts to actually propagate them and kind of give them a second chance to not get extinct. I tried to look for the pollinator of this species, which was really difficult to find, but... Um, Probably still nets. Uh, yes, because uh, obviously it grows in wet conditions and it loves wet conditions. So you would think that it's um, nuts. The main threat to this species is um, unfortunately, obviously, the modification of the wetland habitat, which is, guess, guess what is the biggest problem? Pastures and landscape it's, development. Uh, mostly pasture, pastures, unfortunately. So. Uh, it's the increased nutrients from the farm runoff. Uh, okay, maybe let's finish with a good note. Uh, I actually really like this research and it got me inspired to get another orchid of a different type than the one that I have. And I know exactly where to find them. Oh, really? Well, tell me what is the type and I'll tell you where to find them. Okay, you, you'll have to suggest me a type because um, I'm not sure. <laughs> But yeah, give me give me um, your suggestion, and um, yeah, if I like it. Well, we will go to my place that I know. Okay, sure. <laughs> I'm just, I know you'll need it. <laughs> Sasha just took a minute reading the outro notes. <laughs> like for a second, I thought that she gave me a list of the orchids that I need to approve, <laughs> and she was just slightly hinting that it's time to wrap up. Oh boy, it is time to wrap up. It is time to wrap up. Thank you guys for listening to us. And that is a wrap on two tipsy plants for today. Thank you for getting tipsy with us and joining our plant loving shenanigans. We hope we have inspired you to grab a glass of wine or two, maybe a bottle or two, just like with it, <laughs> and give your little friends some extra love. If you would like to help our podcast, feel free to follow us. And share. Mainly share with your um with other your plant loving friends because um, honestly, we are enjoying making this podcast a lot. But and it's, it's just so great, gratifying to see the audience grow. 
uh, honestly, have you seen that we are very slowly, but we are growing our audience and it it makes our hearts melt. It's like, it's great. Like, honestly, thank you like, so much. Hey, people are listening to us, to our shenanigans. Our thank you so much for doing it. Yes. And uh, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And yes, keep it green. And keep it tipsy. Sasha's sign out. Da -da -da Bye. Yay. <laughs> <laughs>